Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. You ever gone through a time in your life when you felt like your faith could use a booster shot? Uh, you know how they're saying that folks who've had their last COVID vaccine six months or more ago, they should now be going for a booster shot. Not that there's anything wrong with the first shots, but that over time, their effectiveness begins to wane and uh, your, your antibodies need some help, so you better get a booster. When, whenever you get a booster shot, no matter what the vaccine, it's meant to improve what's already there. And, and that's what some of us need when it comes to our faith, right? It's not that the faith we have is no good. It's not that it's not there anymore. It's not that it's given out altogether. We still have faith. It's just a little tired, a little worn thin, a little weary. Uh, it needs a booster shot. It may be that your faith has taken a beating in recent months. You've gone through some trials. And you've trusted God in the midst of them. You've You've believed that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You've held on to the promise that in all things he works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. But frankly, not much has changed. Things are still hard. You've been praying, but you're growing weary of waiting for God to do something. And now, if you're honest, you're having these moments where you wonder if he ever will come through. Uh, maybe he has forsaken me, you think. Maybe he's not going to work in this circumstance for my good. Maybe he's not paying attention when I pray. Maybe he doesn't love me as much as I've been led to believe. Maybe he can't be counted on this time. It's not that you've given up on God altogether, but sometimes your faith needs a boost. So where do you go for that? It's not like you can go to CVS or to your doctor and order up a booster shot of faith. And so maybe you come here. And if that's why you're here this morning, I'm here to tell you, I'm going to refer you right back to the only one who can do that for you. When your faith needs a boost, turn to God. And you say, uh, now wait a minute here, something's wrong with that. Won't he be mad at me if I come to him and say something like, uh, God, I need your help here. I feel like you're letting me down. My faith uh, is, 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 is wavering. I'm getting tired of waiting for you to do something. I'm praying, but it feels like you're not listening. I mean, won't he get mad at me if I say something like that? Will he strike me with a lightning bolt or something? Well, not if he treats us the way he treats Abram in Genesis chapter 15. We're wrapping up today this series we've called 
a stumbling faith. We called it this because as we're, we've been walking with Abram through these chapters of Genesis, we've observed that his faith is a lot like ours. Sometimes it's strong and sometimes it's not so strong. Sometimes he's acting in faith and sometimes he's not acting in strong faith. And so he starts off in chapter 12 with a, a mighty step of faith where God says, go to the land I will show you. And he gets up and he goes. He, he walks by faith in God. But later in that same chapter, his his faith uh, fails him. He stumbles in his faith. When down in Egypt, uh, he tells a lie to protect himself instead of trusting in the promise of God for his protection. He rebounds in chapter 13, and he lives in a very generous kind of faith. When he parts ways with Lot, and in chapter 14, as we saw last week, he acted in a courageous yet humble kind of faith when he went and rescued Lot from marauding kings. But now as we come to chapter 15, uh, Abram's struggling a bit. God has made great promises to him. God has promised him to make him a a great nation and to bless him and to make his name great so that he will be a blessing. And God said, I will curse those who curse you and I will bless those who bless you and I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you and I'm going to give your descendants this land. And Abram took God at his word and believed him. But everything that God has promised hinges on one thing, that Abram have a son through whom all those promises can be fulfilled. And the problem is that Abram's getting older and older And Sarai, his wife, who has been barren up to this point, is unable to have children, and she's getting past the age of childbearing. Abram has believed God. He wants to go on believing God, but it's becoming harder and harder. And he's starting to wonder if it's ever really going to happen. He's getting tired of waiting. He's a little afraid that maybe he's left the comforts of Mesopotamia for nothing, He hasn't lost his faith altogether, but his faith definitely needs a booster shot. And look who steps up to administer it. None other than the Lord himself. Genesis 15 shows us some of the provisions that God himself makes for us when our faith needs a boost. The chapter begins in verse 1 by saying, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Without Abram even saying something, the Lord already knows that Abram is in trouble. He's afraid of something. And fear is a form of a lack of faith, right? When we don't have faith, we tend to give in to fear. And, and that's what's happening with Abram here. here. God says to him, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I'm still on the job protecting you as I promised I would. Your reward will be very great. Remember all those things I promised to you? They're still going to happen. Your reward will be great. And it's at this point that Abram speaks up to voice his complaint, to give voice to his fears. He basically says, yeah, Lord, you've made all these promises, but they all hinge on one thing, my having a son. Verse 2 says, But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. You promised to make me a great nation, but how can I become a great nation if I haven't even had a son? I don't have any descendants yet. How are you going to accomplish all this without giving me a son? As it stands at the moment, my number one servant, Eliezer, the guy from Damascus, he's, he's my heir. 
This was a common practice in ancient times. When a wealthy couple had no children of their own, they would often appoint somebody who was uh, high up in their staff, in their household staff, and entrust him with their care as they got older in exchange for him inheriting all their wealth when they were gone. And this is where things stand right now. Abram and Sarah have no child of their own, so essentially one of their household servants, this guy named Eliezer, is the one that they've designated as the probable heir, the one who will care for them in their old age and inherit their wealth. And the Lord answers Abram's complaint in verse four and says, it says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now, Abram has heard similar things before. Back in chapter 12, God said, I'll make you into a great nation. In chapter 13, he went on to say, hey, Abram, uh, if you can count the dust of the earth, uh, you'll be able to count your offspring. So shall your offspring be. Your offspring is gonna be as numerous as the, the dust of the earth. You won't be able to count them all. So Abram's heard these things before, but now, you know, when he first heard it, he was 75. Now he's probably into his 80s. And he's, he's beginning to think, how's this ever going to happen? It's getting harder and harder to keep believing. And God sees that Abram's faith needs a boost. So look what God does. Verse 5, and he brought him outside and said, look toward the heavens and number the stars if you're able to number them. Now remember, these were days before light pollution and air pollution and everything else, so this would be like us going out and looking up at the night sky in the North Woods or something where you see the brilliance of the, the, the Milky Way and everything else. Innumerable stars. He says, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Knowing that Abram's faith needed a boost, God reiterates his promise to Abram in a most graphic way. I have a brother, Jeff, who is a rocket scientist. I mean, a bona fide rocket scientist, right? He um, got his PhD in aerospace engineering from the University of Illinois. He has spent all of his career working in the defense industry on top secret, secret projects. If he told you what he really does, he'd have to kill you, you know, that kind of thing. I'm just glad he's on our side, believe me. He's a very smart guy. And when a guy as smart as Jeff takes up a hobby, he doesn't take up any old hobby, he takes up astral photography. And so this is what he's got in his backyard, this massive telescope that's hooked up to motors and computers. And he actually moved to Crozet, Virginia, because it is one of the darkest places on the East Coast. So less light pollution there, he's up you know, close to the mountains, uh, little, little air pollution, the sky is clear for him to do his astrophotography. And then he, he gets this rig out there in the backyard. I, I've often said, what do your neighbors think you're doing back there? <laughs> Launching rockets or something. And, and well, go back to the last one. So he's got this, uh, this uh, telescope and, and you know, he focuses that telescope on a single point in the sky, in the night sky, and then the computers and the motors uh, you know, keep that thing tracking. As the earth moves, it keeps tracking in that single point in the sky so that he can get as much light uh, from that point in the sky because that helps him to see the stars better. And, and then he, he processes all that in his computer and it turns out imagery like this next thing that's a nebula that he was able to photograph with his machinery there. 
And I told Jeff, you know, hey, I'm preaching on this passage where God takes Abram out and shows him the night sky and says, so shall your offspring be, you know, with stars too numerous to count. Do you have a picture uh, of, from your astrophotography? And by the way, if you want to follow him on Instagram, it's Deep Space Crozet. Uh, Crozet is spelled C-R-O-Z-E-T. It's, it's worth it. Believe me. He's got some amazing stuff on there. Uh, but I said, do you have an image that captures that? And he sent me this picture of the Milky Way. Uh, and, and then he sent me not only a picture, but it had the caption that said this, toward the center of the Milky Way, my processing software couldn't count the number of stars, nearly choked my computer. To this very day, with all of the sophisticated technology that we have, a rocket scientist says, you can't count them, man. And God takes uh, Abram out in the night sky points to something probably looking a lot like this and says, Abram, so shall your offspring be. What are you worried about? Just when he needed to be reminded, God reiterated his promise to Abram. And verse 6 says, and he believed the Lord and he counted to him his righteousness. Now, most commentators agree that this isn't the first time that, hey, go to the next slide. There you go. This isn't the first time that um, uh, Abram believed in the Lord. This is rather a summary of how Abram's faith in the Lord worked, right? So God spoke. Abram took the Lord at his word, and the Lord says, you're okay by me, Abram. You, you trusted me. You believed me. You're right with me. And by the way, this is the same verse that Paul quotes several times in the New Testament, most notably in Romans 4, to make the point that our right standing with God is not a matter of our good works, but rather is a matter of trusting in what God has said, in what God has done. That if we trust the Lord, we will be reckoned as righteous. Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous. He simply believed. He simply believed that though he had no children, even in his old age, he had no realistic hope of having any children, he believed that God could make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. It was exactly the boost that Abram's faith needed. And it's the kind of boost that God is gracious to give us when our faith is growing tired or wearing thin, especially in those times when we've trusted God and we've waited on God and we've prayed to God, maybe even for years, and we're wondering if he'll, he'll ever come through for us. Even in the midst of all that, God does for us what he did for Abram. He reiterates his promises. He reiterates his promises. If your faith is wearing a little thin, not dead, but it's tired out. If you've been hanging on, waiting for God to act, if it's been so long that you're starting to wonder if he ever will come through for you, the Lord speaks to you his promises all over again. Even when you're saying, where is God in all of this? Just let his promises wash over you afresh. This God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This God who says, in all things, I work for good for those who love me, who are called according to my purpose. Do not be anxious. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We are promised, and my God will meet every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus himself said, don't worry about food or drink or clothing, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, but your Father knows that you need these before you even ask. Seek first instead his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It was Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It's Jesus who promised that whoever believes in him, the Son of God, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the apostle Peter was right when he said that God has given us very great and precious promises. So if you find your faith wavering or growing a bit thin, if you find yourself wondering whether God will come through for you, step up and avail yourself of the provision God has made to boost your faith. Rehearse again the promises of God. Abram was wondering whether God was going to deliver after so many years, and God said, Abram, step outside, look up, so shall your offspring be. When your faith needs a boost, God reiterates his great and precious promises to you, but many of us don't hear them. You know why? Because some of us haven't opened our Bibles in a long, long time. God is speaking, but we're not listening Read your Bible daily. You'll find his promises on almost every page. So during the pandemic, a lot of people turn to the Bible app, YouVersion, which you can access, by the way, through our Bayside app. But during 2020, in particular, the YouVersion Bible app saw searches increase by 80%, totaling nearly 600 million searches worldwide. And guess what the number one search was around the world? As people were looking for hope, and people were looking for answers and healing, the number one search was that verse in Isaiah that says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. That was the number one search around the world, and the, and the number one verse in the United States, India, South Africa, the Netherlands, and the Philippines. In Ghana, the top verse was Philippians 4.8. Do not be anxious about it, anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty good one, don't you think? In, in Kenya, it was Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his person, uh, his, pur- your, his purpose. version founder Bobby Grunewald said, through every hardship, people continue to seek God and turn to the Bible for strength, peace, and hope. And while 2020 was a year so many said they would like to forget, we saw it as a year to remember how God used the Bible app to help so many people who were searching for answers. Overall, the app tracked 43.6 billion chapters of the Bible read in 2020 with half a billion verses shared, its highest on record. You see, because God speaks powerfully through his word, when our faith grows weary, reiterating to us great and precious promises, promises not only to Abram, but to us. That's the first provision God made for boosting Abram's faith, and it's a provision he makes for us. He reiterates his promises, but here's the second. Not only does he reiterate his promises, but he reminds us of his covenant. He reminds us of his covenant. Well, verse 7 starts in much the same way verse 1 did. God reminds Abram of who he is, and then Uh, of what he has promised. And it said, 
and he said to him, verse 7, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, who brought you out from Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. I've not only promised you descendants as numerous as the sky, uh, stars in the sky, but I've promised you this land. And again, Abram complains a bit. God's been saying this for a long time now. And it's his descendants, which he doesn't even have any yet, are supposed to possess this land one day. So again, in a weak moment, with faith trying to hang on but growing a little thin, Abram asked God how he can be sure. Verse 8, but he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And as if to double down on all that God has ever promised Abram, God gives Abram the ultimate faith booster. He not only makes a promise, but he enters into a covenant with Abram. Now, a covenant in ancient times was the most binding commitment one could enter into. It was a promise you made for which your very life was the collateral. And it goes like this. He said to him, verse 9, bring me a heifer three years old, a cow, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, probably put one on each side. But you say, whoa, what's going on here? This is gross. It's all this butchering of animals that's going on here. Well, when you made a covenant in ancient times, you didn't just make a covenant, you literally cut a covenant. You cut a covenant. And, and when you made a covenant with somebody, the animal that was being sacrificed was cut in half. And in this case, it's not just one animal, it's three livestock and two birds. So this is a really, really serious covenant. The animal is cut in half and the halves are laid on the ground with an aisle in the middle. And then the parties would negotiate and they'd come to an agreement. This is what we're agreeing to do for each other. I'm going to do this, you're going to do that. And when they had come to that agreement, they had their treaty, if you will, then they would take turns walking between the halves of this butchered animal as if to say, if I violate the terms of this agreement, may this happen to me. May this happen to you. It was a deadly, serious agreement. And it says in verse 11, when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. You're not sure about why this detail is included. Is it just you know, trying to keep the birds away because the buzzers were circling the carcasses? Or is, or is this meant as a, an omen of the ominous revelation that God is about to give? I, I tend to think it's the latter. Because verse 12 goes on to say, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So God is being straight up with Abram, telling him how this is all going to play out in the future. Before his descendants take full possession of the land of Canaan that has been promised to them, they're going to be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. In fact, we know from Scripture that those are the years that they would grow from a family of 75, the family of Jacob that went down into Egypt, into a nation of a million plus. It was there that they would grow into a great nation. And then, alluding to the exodus from Egypt, God further tells Abram, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So he's talking here now about the ten plagues, obviously, and the exodus, and, and it was during the exodus that the Egyptians loaded all kinds of stuff on the, 
the uh, Israelites and said, just get out of here, will you? We'll give you our gold. We'll give you our silver. Just leave. Leave us alone. And so they came out with great possessions as God prophesies here. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. He's saying, Abram, this is all far enough in the future. You don't even need to worry about it. You're going to go to your grave in peace. And then he says in verse 16, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. In other words, God had work to do building the nation of Israel while they were down in Egypt, but he also had dealings with the Amorites and others who were currently inhabiting the land. He was giving them ample opportunity to repent, but knowing that they wouldn't, eventually he'd have to bring judgment upon them, and when they were ripe from judgment, he would deliver Israel from bondage in Egypt and bring them up into Canaan to conquer the land and bring judgment upon the Canaanites who were dwelling in it. This is quite a revelation. The Lord is being very specific about what he will do for Abram's descendants and and how he will give them this land 400 plus years hence. And to show Abram how deadly serious he is about it all, the Lord not only makes this promise to Abram, but then enters into a covenant with him. This that has been given here is essentially the terms of the covenant. This is the promise that God is making. He's saying, I'm going to do this. And then verse 17 says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. This flaming torch and smoking fire pot clearly is a representation of the presence of God. So often in the Old Testament, fire is a picture of the presence and the power of God. And so this is a picture of God himself passing between the the pieces of the sacrificed animals as if to say, I am binding myself to this covenant. But it's important to note that it's only God who passes between. Abram is never required to. You see that? God is binding himself to the promises he has made to Abram by way of a one-way covenant. God is saying to Abram, Abram, it's all on me. I will do it, and I am deadly serious about it. And so it says in verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt, the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites, from the Nile River to the Euphrates River, and everything in between. Your offspring one day will inhabit this land that is presently occupied by ten nations. It will all be theirs. Interestingly, Israel only ever came close to occupying all that land during the reign of King Solomon, leading many scholars to believe that this is a promise yet to be fulfilled to his chosen people. But from the day God made his covenant with Abram, it was something that the, Israel, the nation of Israel could always look back on and remember. When food was scarce and Jacob had to take the clan down into Egypt to wait out the famine, they could tell the story of Grandpa Abram and the covenant and strengthen each other with the conviction that God would bring them back to this land one day and it would all be theirs. Through 400 years of slaving away in Egypt, they could tell the story and remember God's covenant promise to bring them out and give them the promised land. Through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness in the midst of military campaigns to conquer the land, when they began settling in the land and building cities, they were reminded of God's covenant with Abram and how he was true to his word. 
So God boosts Abram's faith, not only by reiterating his promises, but by entering into a covenant with him. Now here's the cool thing. God has done the same for us. He has entered into a covenant with us. When our faith is flagging and we're left to wonder if God can be trusted, not only can we remember the great and precious promises that God has made to us, but we need to reflect on how God has entered into a covenant with us and we're reminded of that covenant every time we take communion together. Because when we take the Lord's Supper, we always recite the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, this cup is what? The new covenant in my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood, not the blood of some sacrifice animals. This is the blood that was made at the cost of the life of God's own dear son. He is that serious about it. As surely as God entered into a covenant with Abram, assuring him with the sacrifice of livestock and birds that Abram would have a son, so also God has entered into a covenant with us by the sacrifice of his own dear son, assuring us that our sins can be forgiven. As surely as God alone passed between the sacrifice animals, saying to Abram, it's all on me, a unilateral promise to give Abram a son of his own and make him a great nation, so also God's only son hung alone on a cross, signifying that all our sins are on him, a unilateral promise to satisfy God's wrath against sin once and for all. Just as Abram was asked, only to take God at his word and believe. So all we can do is believe in what Jesus has done to trust him to help us be right with God. And when our faith begins to falter or wear thin, whenever we begin to wonder whether it's too good to be true, we come again to the Lord's table and we partake of the bread the body of the Lord Jesus given for us. And we partake of the cup, the new covenant in his blood. And we remember that God has not only made promises to us, but he has bound himself to us by a covenant to do all for us that he has promised. No matter the circumstances, no matter how long we've been waiting, no matter how weary we may be of holding out hope, we can be certain of God's love. Author Alistair McGrath, in his book, Doubting, tells the following story. He says, an aunt of mine died some years ago, having lived to be 80 or so. She had never married. During the course of clearing out her possessions, we came across a battered old photograph of a young man. My aunt had, it turned out, fallen hopelessly in love as a young girl. It had ended tragically. She never loved anyone else and kept a photograph of the man she had loved for the remainder of her life. Why? Partly to remind herself that she had once been loved by someone. As she had grown old, she knew that she would have difficulty believing that. At one point in her life, she really had meant something to someone, that someone had once cared for her and regarded her as his everything. It could all have seemed a dream, an illusion, something she had invented in her old age to console her in her declining years, except that that photograph gave lie to all of that. It reminded her that it had not been invented. She really had loved someone once and was loved in return. The photograph was her sole link to a world in which she had been valued. And then McGrath makes this connection for us. He says, the communion bread and wine 
are like that photograph. They reassure us that something that seems too good to be true, something that we pin all our hopes upon, something that proves God's love for us, something that assures us that he has not forgotten us, really did happen. And so to all who are weary, to those who are tired of waiting, to those who wonder if God has forgotten you, come get a booster shot for your faith today. Let God speak his promises afresh to you. Remember his covenant to you. You can trust his promises. It's impossible for him to lie. And to show you how deadly serious he is about all that he has promised with you, he has made a one-way, irrevocable covenant with us that cost him the life of his own dear son. And so we hold these elements today like that tattered picture, not only as a reminder that God once loved us, but as proof that he loves us still and always will. And so will you now take the bread as we remember the Lord Jesus and how on that night he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup is what? This cup is the new covenant This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Don't you love that last part? It reminds us that he's not done yet. He's still at work. He's still got work to do, and he's coming again one day to set all things right and make all things new. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. All of us who are weary and heavy laden, we come to you knowing that in you we find rest. We come to you today, Lord, wanting your great and precious promises to to wash afresh over us and renew us to to remind us of of all that is ours in Christ. Even as we go through trials, even as we struggle, even as some of us pray and wait upon you and wonder where you're at in our circumstances, we come to you today to have our faith boosted not only by your promises, but by remembering your covenant, that you are so deadly serious about all that you've promised us in Christ that you gave the life of your own son to seal the deal. Lord, it's with gratitude in our hearts that we go forth today, knowing that your promises never fail us, that you never fail us, that you're good for all that you've ever said you would do, that whether we see it all transpire in this life or not, we know that 
that the Lord Jesus is coming again, and when he does, he will set all things right and make all things new. And we long for that day and pray even so come, Lord Jesus, for it's in your name that we pray. Amen.